Aloha, everyone. I'm your host, Christina Laney-Mitri, and welcome to Smart Living Hawaii's podcast, where we discuss smart homes and technology, sustainability, healthy lifestyles, and smart business. Today, we'll continue our Sustainable Leaders series and have a talk story with Jake Johnson at Holly Partners, where he will be discussing the successes and hurdles of building affordable housing here in Hawaii. We will also learn about Homemade Hawaii, and what they do for our community. The newly built Kamaoku Kauhale, which is a tiny home community for veterans and the homeless, and where we see these developments headed as we tackle affordable housing for the future. Aloha, Jake. Aloha. Thank you so much for joining us on such short notice. <laughs> I wanted to throw this in there. We are tackling a whole bunch of things. I've been to several things on green building and affordable housing recently. And I thought this was a good time to have you jump in on a podcast. So sure. before we begin, let me just say a little bit on Jake. So you kind of know his background. For over 15 years in Hawaii, he has um, been passionately dedicated to his craft in the construction industry. From designing and building track homes to custom high-end properties, Jake has performed an array of visionary and versatile products and styles. And prior to development of Halle Partners LLC, Jake is the founder of his own company, Jake Johnson Designs. In addition, he has led a private investment management company the last five years, focused on renovating and new construction. Jake uses a network of subs and specialty contractors to complete the project on time and comply with budget standards, which is always a challenge. Jake is also a prominent philanthropist in the local community. As executive on the Young Leaders Board of Make-A-Wish Hawaii, he provides support to fundraise and help grant wishes of children with life-threatening diseases. And he is also on, a, on the board for Home Aid Hawaii which we will dive into a little bit later. Okay, so first up, your background. Can you tell us where are you from, Jake? Yes, thanks for having me. Uh, so I'm originally from uh, a small town outside of Spokane, Washington called Medical Lake. Uh, I was born and raised there. Uh, we have uh, a few generations before me that uh, set up roots there. And um, I... Uh, I, we kind of grew up in a very, very rural area. Um, needless to say, there was uh, plenty of opportunities to build tree forts wherever you looked. So, <laughs> yeah. And how did you make your way all the way to Hawaii from there? So it was very interesting how I made it to Hawaii. Um, and I haven't told this story in a while, but basically uh, winter was coming, not the Game of Thrones quote, but Winter was on its way uh, to um, the Pacific Northwest. Uh, it was a very gloomy day. Uh, a gentleman by the name of John Covey showed up to uh, the development that we were building in. I think we've touched on the track homes. So at that point in my um, young career, I'll call it, uh, we were doing track homes. And it was, it was late October. Uh, so the rains were definitely there and it was getting really cold. And anyways, this individual showed up and said, hey, I'm going to Hawaii. I need a roofing crew. So <clears throat> we had 24 hours to decide. And then 48 hours later, I was on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was 19 at the time. Extremely excited. Um, you know, very kind of small minded individual uh, at that age. And uh, I honestly had no idea what to expect. Um, and uh turns out when we got here, um, it was the 40 days and 40 nights of rain that took place. <laughs> and I was living in Princeville at the time. Oh, <laughs> so, no. <laughs> so I was like, wow, this is Hawaii? <laughs> I don't know if I can well, handle Hawaii's it. Hawaii's pretty wet. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, anyways, uh, so that's how, that's how I made it over here. Um, and I, I kind of flew back and forth a little bit and then basically have called Hawaii home since uh permanently since uh 2007. Awesome. Well, 
you've definitely done a lot since then. And so I know that by trade, you're a general contractor and you work on all types of homes. But yes. when we did speak for the first time, I could tell that your heartstrings were pulling on affordable housing. And mm -hmm. if it seemed as if you were able to make a decent living doing it, it could be something that you would focus on long term or consistently more so than maybe some other projects. So um, what has drawn you to affordable housing and, um, and that passion there? Uh, I would like to, uh, I think my mom would describe me as a, a glutton for punishment um, <laughs> you know, uh, in, in that endeavor. And how how I got involved in, you know, homemade, and I know we'll, we'll kind of go in depth later on, but really it, it's, you can't go without seeing it in Hawaii. You, you just can't. Um, I lived in uh, Ka'alu for five years and Waimanalo another two or three off and on and so typically there I didn't really see it as much but once I moved into town it was it was uh it was very it, I mean you can't go anywhere without seeing it um and experiencing it and I I particularly am somebody that believes that I have a skill set that can make a direct impact in a certain um layer of this issue and so uh, with that came, you know, reaching out to homemade uh, and uh, kind of just jumping in the think tank right away uh, on short notice, just like this. And, uh, you know, I mean, some of the best ideas come off the cuff because you don't overthink yourself. So um, anyways, circling back, I, I got involved and this issue is passionate to me because um, the amount of energy that I put in is... Uh, you know, the return on investment is just as great, if not greater. Mm -hmm. Well, we need more people like you and we are charging through with um, everybody. I think this is a good time to talk about before we get into homemade, what Holly Partners is and how that originated. Sure. Um, so prior to Holly Partners, uh, I uh, had a company and still do. It's, it's still active to this day. Jake Johnson Designs. And that was kind of, uh, I had a mentor, uh, Jim Schmidt, who's a, a kind of a well-known architect here in Hawaii, does a lot of modern homes. And since 2011, Jim has been my mentor and we've worked on uh, several projects. Um, I took a, I was selected for an SBA uh, Emerging Leaders Program along with, I believe, 12 other individuals. Um, and it's basically like a hyper- uh, it's an accelerated kind of business uh, course uh, that's offered to the SBA and they select a few uh, members of the community of Hawaii um, that are able to take this course. It's, it's not a paid thing. Um, it's, it's a selective thing. And I, I was very honored to do that. And with that came uh, meeting my business, my future business partner and Holly partners, Brandon. Um, and, uh, we kind of combined our, our forces. He's, he was stronger on the business side than I was, but I was, you know, heavy on the design, the build process, um, you know, and everything else as a GC and for, uh, you or for, for me or for, you know, anybody to grow, you know, it does take a team. And so at that point, the team was two and, and we kind of just, uh, jumped at it from that angle. And he's been very supportive. Um, I, I've kind of had a, a strong vision of, of things that I wanted to accomplish. And so um, <laughs> by default, he's a glutton for punishment sometimes, too. <laughs> but, uh, but he's been very supportive throughout this experience. And uh, I don't think Holly Partners could have made the impact that we have being as small as we have without um, his support. So Awesome. So he does more of the business side of things. Yes. Um, on the back end. Okay, cool. Well, let's jump in to what kind of services do you provide at Holiday Partners, just in case somebody's like, I need a general contractor for XYZ. <laughs> let's uh, yes. get your name out there. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, I haven't done an elevator speech in a while. Um, and this is one <laughs> of the things that we used to practice at the SBA. Uh, and we used to have to recite it. Um, every class we would have to read our, our and refine it, read and refine, read and refine. 
Um, so bear with me, but uh, Holly Partners now has pivoted to a design build company. And for those of you that don't know what design build is, it's basically almost a one-stop shop. You, you, uh, you basically go to um, an entity like us and we will procure an architect, we'll procure engineers, and we will scale a project up and down to fit the budget, to fit the overall design intent. And with one entity in control of the whole process, um, we get a better product in a more timely fashion, and we typically are able to hit our numbers. And design build, I do believe, is the future. Um, and, you know, I, uh, I think that... Um, it's it isn't as new, but it's catching momentum, and I know people throw it around as a lot. And you know, one of the examples that we'll go through is Kama Oku later on in the show, but that's an example of design build. So, awesome. So, if you were to say who your most favorite client would be, what would it what would that be, or what kind of project are you most um like? Do you like to work on? Um, to me, I can fall in love with almost anything that I do because I'm not, I'm, I, I, I kind of get attached to the outcome of a project, not necessarily the framework of the project, but the outcome, especially if there's a strong mission behind it, uh, a, a strong design intent, uh, a strong impact in somebody's life. Those are the types of things that, that keep me motivated, keep me showing up and, um, and it's something that I kind of, uh, I'm very lucky to have figured out my, my triggers in life, or at least some of my triggers in life. <laughs> I think my girlfriend will argue differently, but I, uh, I've been able to motiv self-motivate and try to get a, a team to motivate around a certain goal or aspect of a project, not particularly anything in scale. Um, you know, the scale of the project isn't really, uh, something that you can get attached to. I think it's got to be an outcome, an individual, or, um, you know, a certain uh, effect or impact that it'll have on somebody's life. And then another key important question is, how far booked are you out? <laughs> if somebody wanted to use you today, could they, or do they have to wait 18 months? No. Um, well, that's I guess that's with the, with the loaded question. design. <laughs> <laughs> with the design uh, part of it, you might be able to start sooner. But I mean, yeah, I'm just yeah. curious. So, um, so we do. Um, so Holly Partners, uh, because we focus on design build, it's it's not a, a quantity. Um, it's a quality of a project. So we're very particular about what fits our portfolio, what fits our vision for us as a company. And, and obviously, we have budget constraints and certain uh costing thresholds that that makes sense for us um we are currently you know booking into 2023 we're uh, you know 2022 is pretty much done uh but definitely you know, middle of 2023 uh and i will say this you know because of the permit issues you know um getting the design process started is something that is is very important um and it can take you know, several months to get through. Um, and it all has to do with, you know, putting out the right collateral to the client, you know, getting the best visuals that you can. I, I use 3D software, so we don't really uh, present in any sort of 2D method. Um, I do, I do high-end renders. I try to make it as uh, visually, uh, you know, stimulating as possible and as close as possible. So that way it's, the design process is more efficient and we don't have a bunch of changes through the, de mm -hmm. through the, the design build experience, because that is what will blow a budget, blow a schedule. And ultimately, you know, we want to have a happy client. So managing the expectation from the get go is, is probably the most challenging, hardest. And if it's done right, rewarding part of the project. Mm -hmm. And then how many people, or projects do you kind of handle at a time? We typically have three. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're, they're up there in scale. So mm -hmm. um, we have, we have three projects going on. Uh, you know, we are growing, but we are growing organically. 
Um, and so, you know, three could easily become six, you know, uh, with the right business model. And so we are currently kind of doing self-reflection, um, for the next, uh, till the end of the year. Uh, and so next year will look very different, um, than this year because our growth has compounded doubled year over year over year since, since we opened our doors. Awesome. And then let's talk about, oh man, how, how expensive everything's gotten and how hard it is to get things. Where are we now price per square foot for different, I guess, levels of luxury, just mid range, just to throw out some numbers for us so we can just have a general idea, you know, after coming out of COVID and, and gas prices and interest or, oh gosh, everything. <laughs> sure. I mean, everything has to get on a ship and come here. And so that is kind of circles back to managing the client's expectations is, you know, from the onset, we, we give ranges, but we also give very strong statements to certain things like cabinetry, windows, doors, uh, you know, specialty items like vessel tubs and, you say, you know, this is a range or in terms of some of our vendors, they give a promise date, but really it, it, that's just, uh, it, it can't be taken as fact. And so uh, when we build our schedules um, and then this might be diving in a little too deep, but when we build our schedules, we set predecessors on milestones of basically when these things land on Island, this is what I can promise you mm-hmm. from the, you know, from landing on my job site. And so, that is, uh, uh, you know, through managing client expectations, that was the best way that I could figure out how to do that is to give a ROM, uh, you know, a rough order of magnitude of when something's going to come and then promise once it's on site, what that, what that next step looks like, what, you know, how long that process is after that. And so I really, we really go over the schedule a lot because the schedule and budget are two ways to manage your client and, um, and get the best outcome for everybody. And so, um, you know, price per square foot, uh, we are in the $600 range um, on some of our high-end renovations. Uh, I've never had a a costing like this, but a a couple of fellow contractors have had some in the 900s. Um, So uh, mostly in the Kahala area. Um, but you know, that's, that's very high level spec. That's steam showers. That's, you know, vessel tubs. That's, um, you know, $80,000, uh, appliance package. So, um, it's, it's very, very high level, but typically I would say, um, you know, 550 is, is definitely, you can get a very good product for 550. So, okay. Awesome. Okay. Moving into the affordable housing side. I would love to see at some point merging affordable housing and green building together. Mm -hmm. I know that cost is always a factor when we're dealing with affordable housing and that's kind of the area that we're going to talk about. So let's go into home aid Hawaii. Maybe a lot of people don't know. It's actually a pretty new nonprofit, uh, right? That started, was it right before COVID or during COVID? Right before? Um, I, I believe homemade homemade was uh, definitely established before I was involved, but I believe it was in 2015. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I know it's an entity um, where just a Hawaii, um, is it a franchise of some sort? Yes. It's a so, national brand, right? Homemade Hawaii is a local affiliate of Homemade, which is a national brand. Um and, uh, you know, th- they've, and in some respects, we have, we have really pushed homemade uh, because we, we actually did one of the first, uh, I believe we've done one of the first actual ground up developments. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, we, we've definitely spearheaded a, a kind of a new thing uh, in terms of the model that homemade is, but basically homemade is is uh the affiliate homemade um is something that just is a a collaborative approach with homemade hawaii and so we kind of really set and create our own goals here so um so just for those listening to know what homemade hawaii is is a it's actually i would say 
probably all the top developers in the state of Hawaii are on their board. Yes. <laughs> and they all collaborated together along with uh, Jake here to put together um, and support projects that assist with homelessness and um, other probably community initiatives as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so let's see, I got it written here. Homemade's mission is to help people experiencing or at risk of homelessness build new lives through construction, community engagement and education. So their vision is to be a vital force in creating safe and dignified housing and problematic program or programmatic uh, facilities for those who are experiencing or at risk of homelessness. So um, maybe we can talk about some of the projects you have worked on. And then that one that I think, did you do a lot of that, that one, the, the Kauhale one? Kamaoku. Yeah, Kamaoku, Kahale, right? Yes. So, um, Kamaoku, uh, so my involvement in, in Homemade actually came through uh, my girlfriend, Haley Baird. Um, she was uh, at that time running for Miss Hawaii, and her platform was on uh, homelessness, houselessness community. Uh, she actually lived directly across the street from an encampment on Kamaki Ave. And so uh, when we started dating, like I would go over to visit her, hang out. And, we, you know, it, I mean, it was just right in front of you. And um, it, it, it was uh, that was the first time that I really, really, really like started to really look at the issue and and look at, you know, how how the these encampments or, you know, would would migrate from place to place and um it's, it's it's pretty sad um and so with that basically came a, a phone call to our executive director nani Maderas, and we talked for about i would say five minutes instant just fireworks and i said nani i'd like to get involved and you know i potentially have um somebody that has a piece of land in waimanalo um, that if we could see how we can restructure zoning, um, maybe we could make this work, uh, and, and, you know, <laughs> forge a path. And so anyways, we met out in the field in Waimanalo. Um, and, uh, then we met with, uh, Josh Green and, uh, Ikaika Anderson's group at that time, cause it was in Ikaika's district. Um, and we kind of pitched the idea, uh, the biggest issue, and I'll kind of touch on it later was infrastructure you know these these um ohana zoning areas a lot of them had no sewer connections or they were in flood and so you know it was that that's ultimately where that that idea kind of fell on its own sword was just it it, it we didn't have uh infrastructure to be able to support a a kahale like kama oku so um we uh my shop was out there in Waimanalo and COVID had hit <laughs> and we had we were so excited because uh Josh Green I'll back it up just a little bit um and I'm sorry I haven't talked about the story in a while so it's it's kind of cool to kind of relive it but um I remember being in a, a few meetings uh pre-COVID uh around this this time and the the weekend the week before Thanksgiving Josh goes, can we get an example? And he challenged me. And I remember jumping on the phone and putting in the Hansador lumber order in his office. And I, I backed up the, the, the car and the truck and turned the headlights on and was building into the night <laughs> to try to get this thing up because they, they were going to have the news come out and we really wanted to show something. And so that was my first challenge. And I, I had my girlfriend Haley ha helping me at the time. And uh, we even had, um, I don't know if you know her, but uh, Michelle from the Vanguard Theory. And she came out, she brought some like staging to make it all look nice. And <laughs> so anyways, uh, and you could probably look this up on, online, but uh, uh, we did the Hawaii News Now. And uh, and so on Thanksgiving morning, we, we all went out there and they did an interview and filmed the open air cabana at that time. And, um, 
at that time, we didn't have a destination. Uh, we had no idea about Kamaoku and, and the location that we would ultimately end up being at. And uh, but it was really good because it was the first step and and creating something visual. It could just just being able to touch and feeling like, OK, you know, would this work? You know, and it got everybody's excitement. And then we went to the um, back and I worked with uh, one of the architects with Homemade and we came up with two uh, housing floor plans and then COVID hit. So once once things really shut down, um, it kind of got uh, not 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 lonely, but, you know, being a part of Homemade and, uh, you know, ev no one knew what COVID was going to do. Mm -hmm. And so everybody kind of went to their businesses because, you know, now we're doing crisis management. We're like, okay, can crews work together? You know, how, how does this, how does this work with schedule and how many people can work together? And there's all these new rules just coming out every day, every week. Um, so it kind of took, um, and, and I had just started Holly partners. So I was in the perfect position to, to keep this thing going. And so with that, I came up with two designs you know, and I, and I figured out that, you know, I wanted to make the bases and certain components to where you got a different visual look, but a lot of it was interchangeable. It just, I rotated foundations and did some other things so I could actually keep similar footprints, but visually it was different and the layout was different. And so I came up with these two designs, got the approval, built the one out there pretty much by myself. <laughs> uh and you know once i got the prototype up uh you know things got a little bit more real we got the location so then uh once we had uh so hakeem from um uh the public uh hawaii public housing authority um actually you know approached nani from homemade and um he's like i got the land and so with that came our design we basically applied it to there they had a, a, a building um, that uh, we now have all the communal facilities. And that's that's how the Kalahali model is, for those of us that don't know, is it is basically a dwelling that somebody can sleep, store their things, but it has no plumbing. Um, you know, so we do communal uh, cooking areas. We do communal bathrooms, laundry, gathering spaces. And so you, you have your own quarters and then you, you want to interact with the community or cook or do any of that stuff. You kind of go out in, into the, this other facility. Um, and that's also how you, uh, that, that's also very efficient and it also keeps the cost down. So uh, because to have to do a bathroom and a kitchen to each one of these units would double or triple the cost of the project. So, um, so that's, that's, uh, and, and so I kind of got lost in the question, but um, did. Uh, <laughs> so you're definitely explaining okay. Okay. Um, the project and everything. And I think that was a good um, breakdown for what homemade is capable of doing it. Cause they, a lot of things they do is also assist in different things that are already created, right? Or already like they mm -hmm. need something new or they need to work on a new building or editing, fixing a building or, or things of that sort of the facilities that they have. So I know that they've helped in different capacities that way. And it seems that that's probably how um, homemade in the US pretty much structures like their their system and their models. But it looks like with this, does this look like something that we will be charging forward with future projects like this in general that homemade will take on? Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, the, the homeless situation uh, and houseless situation in Hawaii, um, like other parts of the, the country, uh, it's layers. So this was an example of um, a project that um, was targeted towards a certain demographic or certain um, need in the community. And so to be able to be flexible and hit on all these different levels and not just kind of close yourself off and focus on one thing says a lot about us. Um, I mean, it says a lot about our, our connection to the community. Um, and, you know, it, it gives hope and it's also challenging for each, each project or each, you know, 
individual dynamic is it's different. And so mm -hmm. um, it, it forces us to put our thinking caps on and how we can solve it. And um, just because there's a lot of big names, you know, that um, are on our board doesn't mean that we don't look at the little things too. Yeah. Well, what you guys created is pretty much a village of tents that are in a sense, right? Cause I mean, all tents that everybody are in that they're living in today, like they don't have bathrooms, they don't have plumbing. So, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of places that they're at, they, that they're, you know, at there, there is no actual facility to use bathrooms or, you know, cook and stuff like that. So then this is out just in the public and everywhere. And so to create this, um, place where they have something that they can lock up and they have their own spaces and they have their in a sense like a little home um, where they can sleep and feel safe more than a tent is probably um, something that everybody would like to have do they how has it been received with the general public I mean the people that are using them now since it's been around for a little bit sure um, well I don't know uh, when the last time you've gone camping, but typically uh, those tents get pretty hot once the sun hits them <laughs> and they're not, they're not really comfortable to be in. And I, I'm proud to say that, uh, you know, these are all to code um, dwelling units. Um, and so we have R30 insulation in the ceilings, R13s in the walls. Um, they are comfortable to be in, in the heat of the day. Um, and that, and that's the biggest thing for me is like, there was no, uh, interaction with, um, to, to, a to, a like, a I never met like outside of going to Blanche out in Waimanalo and just kind of stopping in there once a month, asking questions, kind of seeing how people did things. Um, outside of that, I really, you know, was very fearful that I was going to build a ghost village. And so I really reflected on my design because I, I knew the heat of the day, I wanted it to be comfortable to be in. Otherwise, if they're not comfortable to be in, we should have just put a tent up you know, for the cost. And so, um, so we really, really focused in on, you know, and I, and I, and I say this to everybody, I, I treat my houseless clients just like I would treat my Kahala clients um you know to me there's no difference uh and I and I don't I don't skimp on anything I I really try to put the best thing that I possibly can out there um and it, it, you know and that's one of the things that that keeps me vested <clears throat> and keeps me going because if I'm not fully vested in something I would I'd rather just not do it so if I'm not going to give 100 percent I'm only going to give 80 I would just rather not be a part of it so um back to the design is uh you know they are they are highly efficient it is it is really efficient um cost wise i i have yet to put something else out there um that or or see something out there that that has, would beat that um and you know I, I have you been there no i haven't had the opportunity i think i'm gonna need to do an excursion with you <laughs> we would we would love to have you out i, I mean, should do if, some like um if we're able to do video and photos i'd love to do that but i don't know if we're allowed to but if we do i will definitely be posting it um and then also how just because i don't think you mentioned but what is the actual size of these little they're like yurts like have you been out to <laughs> um Malikahana friends of Malikahana yes yeah so they yes. have these little yurts this is what I'm envisioning they are um mm -hmm. which is just got beds in them I mean mm -hmm. I've upgraded my my family into the cabins <laughs> have like a bathroom and electricity so we could cook rice or whatever um and have mm -hmm. lights at night but um there is a lot that are just yurts where they just, so people that don't have a tent, right. Then yeah. they have that and they don't have lights and they don't have anything. It's just bunk beds, I guess. Oh, it well, we have, we have lighting, we have electrical. I mean, some of them have their own fridges in there. Um, we've got, uh, we had amazing donations happen and uh, you can visit the website to see some of the donations that took place from uh, some of the business community in Hawaii and um they're very comfortable they're they're very comfortable um and it's i mean if it's it's glamping at its finest 
Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and we're, you know, I would say this, that, you know, we're, they're 90% filled. So, um, and we've had uh, a few as of the last meeting actually transition out and go into permanent housing from there. That's awesome. So how long are they allowed to stay there? Um, I don't know the specifics um, for uh, uh, how the U.S. Vets runs and operates it. I, and I all know of them that, are veterans? They're uh, all, or no, no, right? It's a combo, no. right? Yeah, it's a combo. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know that there's any sort of time constraint to be there. Um, I do know that they are charged a, a very nominal amount of money for rent. Um, and so, you know, which is good because you do want to, and, and for this particular project, you know, we want the success rate to be high. So we want people to actually transition out. And, and so it's kind of like a, 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 there's like a, I'll keep circling back to it. There's several layers to this mm -hmm. issue and, and there's different ways to attack each one. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but yeah, we, we're at 90% capacity over there. Um, we're actually getting ready to uh, build a couple of kitchenettes um, for them to cook um, at, at their own outside of the commercial kitchen. Um, oh, cool. So, and it just, it just helps to build independence and, and everything like that. So um, we're, we're really excited. And, you know, with any new product that you put out, you always, you want to do some self-reflection. Self so um, we're, we're in the process of doing the self-reflection and getting the feedback from them and, you know, it's almost all positive. So we're, we're really happy with that. Um, and there's things that we'll change and we'll do better at on the next one. How um, many but people are in these? Is it just per one single, person? Single. Single occupancy, yeah. Uh, 88 square feet is the, the oh, yeah. um, square footage of each unit. So. Okay, cool. Well, I wanted to jump in real quick to funding. Uh, I, mm -hmm. some of the, I guess, hurdles that we face, right, with affordable housing. So funding with this one specifically, I mean, the land was basically, it's state land, right? Yes. So, um, I mean, there's definitely different ways. Um, there's other people that have their own land and they um, provide, you know, affordable options for people. Um but for funding wise, besides just the land itself, because it's so expensive here in Hawaii for the land, um, how did you guys go about things? Um, I know Homemade probably donated things as well and time and labor and you. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. What about, um, was there any additional funding that came from the state and federal? Um, yes. Things like that. Uh, so Hakeem uh, basically uh, matched what we, so um, Homemade Hawaii brought 18 units and Hakeem actually matched it. So the state actually matched it and then they helped us with the communal facility as well. So very big on the, on um, Hakeem's side. Um, so, awesome. and then we had a bunch of uh, private donors like Tardis Wealth. And um, I was just at an event uh, last Friday um, and to date this year, they've they've raised another seventy thousand dollars for uh, homemade Hawaii. Awesome, and then that's able to be distributed to the projects that they happen to work on in the future. Is that what it yes. is? Yes. So okay. we have um, we have a project POW, which is out in Waianae, and it is not we're not the project lead. We're in support of of the community and uh, people like James Koshiba, uh, you know, Anti Twinkle, all of them um are are really doing something like kamakua but on a big bigger scale and it's it's really really cool to see um i had the opportunity to do a prototype for them um which i which i built last year um and it's just kind of another thing because once you get something up where people can visually touch it see it walk through i just remember that just set us into a different category of fundraising it, it, it just really set the excitement level. Um, you know, it, it was much easier to start raising funds and like getting buy-in from the community once they saw the product that, that potentially could be built. Mm -hmm. So. So what are the hurdles, what other hurdles have we tackled or have you had to tackle 
I'm just going to throw some of these out there and maybe you could chime in on some of them and how they, um, how you kind of either skirted around it or worked with it or um, had to, you know, get some blessings on some things, but like just certain laws and building codes, uh, building sure. permit process, um, the land use, the sewer, like all of those types of things, like, what did you do and how did you go about um, maneuvering things? Oh, and um, not in my backyard kinds oh, of Oh, the nimbyism. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I, uh, so, okay. Wow. That's a big one. Uh, big question. Uh, so uh, we'll start with uh, the emergency proclamation. Um, and so that was something that we built under. Um, it's also on state land. So that was also a way to step around some of the Permian process. I personally, and, and we have, we have, so homemade actually has now pivoted towards policy change. So we have a, we have a group inside of our, 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 um, our uh, builder captains and, and we have a whole kind of outreach group targeted towards policy change. Um, and so that's one of the ways that, you know, we're going to work together in the future because I, it's not, it's not good practice and it's not the best intent to exclude some, like we all should be involved in the process. The problem is, is we've got to create the, what the process should look like an expedited, an expedited process is what our goal is. Now we are really trying to hone in on what that looks like. And that is very complicated to unravel. Um, and, and I do, you know, Josh Green and his camp and um, people like uh, Nani Maderas, our executive director, Harry Saunders, the Castle Cook, they're really focused on trying to create this process. Um, so that way, not just us here, but, you know, somebody like Maui County. I mean, we're getting we're getting outreach from different islands, you know, like, hey, you did it. Um, how can we do it? And so we have really started to hone in and try to say, OK let's take a step back from maybe developing and let's focus on how do we create the process for somebody mm -hmm. to follow. And that takes working with the DPP that takes working with the state that, you know, that's, there's, you should not, we should not be excluding anybody from this. We should, everybody should be sitting at the table figuring out the best way to fast track something mm -hmm. responsibly. So um, the NIMBYism part um, it is hard and a, a lot of, a lot of it is <clears throat> warranted to a certain degree, but that, that kind of falls back in managing expectations. And so I think the biggest problem that the community sees is, you know, we don't want, uh, and I don't know if you've ever looked at it. And this was one of the things I looked at when I was doing the design was, I don't know if you've ever seen like FEMA camps, you know, what those can look like and turn into. Um, but it, it's, you know, we don't want that type of environment. They want something that would be able to be maintained. They don't want, um, you know, abandoned cars around, a uh, you know, the, all the, the mm -hmm. problems that do come with that. Like the criminal and yes. drug use and, um, gang relations to be part of these communities that, um, it would be excluding all the illegal activity, I would say. Um, and that that's enforced. And that's why this is, that, yeah. So I always tell people it's homes or it's habitats, uh, hearts and minds, you know, the, like you need all three because as homemade, we can build the best, um, you know, housing project ever. But if it's not run, if you don't have buy-in from the people that live there, you know, like there's, there's other factors outside of just building something for somebody to stay at, you know, you don't really treat the problem unless you treat it holistically. And so those are some of the things that, um, you know, are, are definitely talked about and, you know, the approach is trying to be there. So with us, you know, we didn't have a service provider when we started Kamoku. We had no idea who, how that was going to go. U.S. Vets came in, I think about the halfway mark. We started mm -hmm. talking about U.S. Vets being the housing provider. And that was very scary to us because, we didn't want to build something that just sat stagnant. We had just poured all of our heart and resources into something through a pandemic. And so we've identified and we we've experienced it in real time 
And we have a very real case study that we are currently unraveling at Homemade, um, but we're excited about the future and, and the, the impact that, that we're going to be able to make in the community of Hawaii. So back to the emergency proclamation, could you explain how that works? Just for the people that don't know. So it allows for things like this to fast track. And I know that when in pre-elections, this was actually discussed by numerous parties that this was how they were going to tackle affordable housing because affordable housing is the number one thing that everybody is talking about today besides climate change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, happens to be the areas that I've been focusing on for the past five yeah. some odd years. Anyhow, um, but yeah, could you explain that a little bit more and how it's utilized for affordable housing in this in this capacity. So the emergency emergency proclamation basically uh, sidesteps the the building department, um, but it doesn't uh, it doesn't give you leniency on your product. So you still have to build the code, and so it actually puts a lot of liability uh, on your plate because the DPP is there to check and process and make sure that things are to code and for for safety and health and that's the, that's a very important thing so obviously you know you see that our board is um you know very qualified to put something out there um so we were able to get the blessing to fast track but um you know again we are we are really focused on not having uh like or or working on streamlining a process that doesn't have to be an emergency proclamation type event. Mm -hmm. Like when so. something goes through permitting, then like, I know like if there's um, packages of buildings that have already gone through like ADUs and people that make the same templates of, of um, mm -hmm. buildings and stuff, if it's already been stamped, before that it's a much easier fast track for them to get through things um, mm -hmm. but when you start customizing it it's when um, we have to start all over <laughs> sure i mean there's there's rules and zoning you know septic systems and and you know five bedrooms to a septic system and you know what flood zone issue there's is a very like i could talk to you for another hour just about <laughs> all the different factors because you know we're going through it because we're trying to create some sort of a template of of land that could be identified very easily mm -hmm. as an option um but it's this is not uh this is not a diy situation at this point this mm -hmm. is very complicated still yeah. and so you know i would not suggest people just start erecting things in their backyard you know and it, it, I, you know it, it, as much as people want to make an impact you know safety is a concern and and if something is put out in an irresponsible manner and something does go wrong you know um it, it can affect the whole change that's trying to take place mm -hmm. so let's see did we cover a lot of these things i think we did um but the one thing that i did want to mention was that since you guys are working on these communities and i'm working hard towards um, the holistic community as well, um, yes. is integrating food uh, production or growing food within the community itself to, um, for an affordable housing, it would definitely have to be something that they're signing up for as part of mm -hmm. their roles to, you know, be a resident there. And, um, you know, would that be something that we can try to uh, implement? I know that there are other developers like DR Horton, who's out in Ho'opili, and then they are integrating um, at least um, more of a food forest type options for their landscaping and mm -hmm. um, integrating food um, growing into their communities, which is pretty cool to start seeing happening in mainstream so it'd be mm -hmm. really cool to see that um option for affordables so just putting sure, that sure. in there <laughs> and if well, you need some support there um i can get people to you um 
but yeah, if you kind of like pencil that in there as um, part of the landscaping, that would be pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would actually point to uh, the POW, Puo Nuo Wainai. Um, they actually do have an agricultural plant um, and it's pretty massive. And awesome. very, I'll be very impressed when that is up and running. Um, I'm actually going out there for a blessing on Saturday. Um, so they're going to bless the site um, and they're ready to break ground on their communal facility. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I would definitely love for you to interview one of these, uh, a, a twinkle or a blanche. I think that yes, would be please. very, very cool to just hear, you know, uh, from the trenches, you know, and, and how they became who they became and basically leading a village um, and, and being able to inspire hope at that level of society is, is quite the undertaking. And, you know, you witness it firsthand and it's, you don't want to mess with it. And so that's why, you know, being able to like, work in with a, a, a POW where there is an individual that has led a community to a certain level and is trying to take it past that, you know, you, you don't want to um, destabilize that. You want to build around that. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is a very fast way to, um, to grow and expand the Kahali model. So, yeah. Well, I think we've pretty much wrapped up everything um, that you've been working on outside of Holly Partners. And um, I encourage everybody to go check them out and then also check out Homemade Hawaii and the different projects that they're doing. And if you'd like to support them, you can. I definitely want to connect with you more to see if I can meet up with Auntie Blanche and Twinkle and, um, just learn about what they're doing in their communities as well. So thank you so much. Before we jump off, can you share with everybody how people can reach you, like your Instagram, if you want to share your email, website? Sure. Um, so uh, my Instagram handle is at uh, Jake Johnson Designs. Um, my website is uh, hollypartnershawaii.com. Uh, and you can reach me via email at jake at hollypartnershawaii.com. Awesome. Okay, that's about it. That wraps everything up. And we are out of time for now. Thank you so much, Jake. Thank you for having me. And um, don't forget to also subscribe to our podcast and check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Just look up Smart Living Hawaii and you'll find our nonprofit there where we hold all the different podcasts. And until next time. Live smart. Thanks so much, guys. Aloha.